the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. The high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, He is deserving of death. Now remember, they could not give a verdict on the same day as the trial. They had to wait at least 24 hours to give the verdict. And then they had to wait three days before they issued the sentence on the guilty. The arrest of Jesus in the garden, his multiple trials and conviction, for lack of a better word, were all done under the table. It was completely against all laws. It was done at night, in secret. The actions and words of the religious leaders showed their disdain for Jesus and the degree of sin in their own lives. Pastor Dan explains this in more detail today. Jesus could have easily gotten out of the mess he found himself in and not died on the cross, but he didn't. And it was for you and for me. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Matthew chapter 26 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Verse 52, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its place, put your sword away. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Jesus could pray and the father would provide 12 legions of of angels to fight for him. Now, a legion is 6,000 soldiers. So 12 legions of angels, I'll do the math for you. It's 72,000 angels to fight for Jesus. And you might think, well, how, well, what kind of damage can an angel do? Well, in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, if you're taking notes, 2 Kings 19, 35, one angel wiped out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Jesus can call 72,000 angels to come fight for him. We can't imagine what kind of damage that many angels can do. But Jesus had tremendous forces available to him. He can call for those forces to come and fight for him, and he can escape the arrest. He can escape the cross if he wants to. He's got options. Jesus has options available to him. He has a way out of this suffering, a way out of the cross. But he doesn't take it. He doesn't take it. He endured all of this for us. Again, he's dying in our place. He's standing in as our substitute. He's going to take our punishment for us. And even though he's got options, he's got power available to him. He can easily get out of this situation. This is why he came. He came to give his life as a ransom for us. 
because of his great love for us and his desire for us. First John chapter four says God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So Jesus stayed and submitted to this arrest out of his love for us. Verse 54, he said again, how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Jesus must suffer and be crucified for the sins of the world to fulfill scripture. It must happen this way, according to the scriptures. You know, as, as we read Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. This has to happen. It has to go down like this. He must suffer to atone for our sins, to reconcile us to God. First Peter chapter one says that his crucifixion was foreordained before the foundation of the world. In Revelation 13, Jesus is described as the Lamb of God who was slain from the creation of the world. The cross was always God's plan of redemption for mankind. It wasn't some unforeseen tragedy that happened. It was always the plan. And it was predicted throughout the Old Testament scriptures. And so Jesus says here again in verse 54, this must happen this way to fulfill the scriptures. And in that hour, verse 55, in that hour, Jesus said to the multitude. So now he turns to all those soldiers, all those temple guard, all the religious leaders. And he says to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me. If you remember back in chapters 21 to 23, Jesus, which was just earlier in the same week, Jesus taught in the temple courts and the religious leaders questioned him repeatedly, trying to trap him in his words, trying to trip him up in his doctrine. But it says they ended up marveling at his teachings. But now they've come in the middle of the night to arrest him, which is illegal. And they have almost a thousand soldiers with them, with swords and clubs and weapons. If Jesus is such a threat and dangerous, why didn't they seize him in the temple when he was teaching openly? Now they come at night. Jesus is is calling them out for what they're doing here and how they're doing it. Verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Look back at verse 31. Then Jesus said to the disciples, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So they arrest Jesus. They take him into custody. And I mentioned that there are three parts or three phases to his religious trial. John's gospel tells us Jesus was first brought to Annas, the former high priest. Matthew doesn't record that for us, but John does. He was first brought to Annas, the former high priest, and that was the first phase of his religious trial before Annas. 
Now, just to give you a little background on Annas, Annas served as high priest from 6 AD to 14 AD before he was removed from office by the Roman governor at that time. But Annas still retained control over the priesthood and over the temple. Annas was the real power in Judaism. Five of his sons served as high priest. And his son-in-law Caiaphas served as high priest. And one of his grandsons served as high priest. Annas was the control behind everything. He controlled everything that went on in the temple. He controlled the market that was in the temple where people came and, and bought animals for sacrifice or exchanged money with the money changers. Annas is the one who set all of that up. He's the one who controlled all of that. Annas is the one who made the temple a den of thieves. Jesus, remember, cleansed the temple not once but twice. And so Annas has a personal grudge against Jesus. And the religious leaders, when Jesus is arrested, the religious leaders recognize Annas as the the real power, the real authority over Judaism. That's why they take Jesus to Annas first. And then Annas sends Jesus to Caiaphas, who is the acting high priest or the official high priest. And the trial before Caiaphas, that's the second phase of his religious trial. And that's where Matthew picks it up in verse 57. Verse 57, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. So they go to the house of Caiaphas. Again, it's illegal to have a trial at night and in secret at the home of Caiaphas. But they're gathered there. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. So Peter began to follow Jesus from a distance or distance himself from Jesus and to sit with the enemies of Jesus. This will lead to him denying Jesus. If you begin to distance yourself from Jesus and hang out with unbelievers, it won't be long before you find yourself denying Jesus with the things that you say. We need to stay close to Jesus. Verse 59, now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought, look what it says, false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Not true testimony. They're not trying to get to the bottom of the facts here. They sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. This religious council, it was called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of 70 members plus the high priest of 71 members in all And they were kind of like the Supreme Court over Judaism, you know, the final judge over things within Judaism. And they've already made up their decision. They've already made up their mind about Jesus before hearing the case or hearing the facts or hearing the evidence. They want Jesus put to death. And now they're just searching for false witnesses who will justify the verdict they've already made. The ninth commandment of the Ten Commandments is you shall not bear false witness. And these are the religious leaders of the nation. They're actively conspiring to find false witnesses to condemn Jesus. Again, can you imagine leaders of a nation actively conspiring together, searching for false witnesses to condemn another person? Hard to believe that people can be that wicked, but it's true. I'm saying that sarcastically. 
We're told here they had a hard time finding false witnesses who were in agreement. They've got to get two witnesses that agree with each other. They can't find two that agree. But then it says, verse 59, they couldn't find any. Verse 60, even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward. And here is the accusation they made against Jesus. This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Mark tells us that they actually said, the full statement was, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. This was a messianic claim. Zechariah 6 says the Messiah will build a temple. And so the Jewish people expected the Messiah to build a temple and rule from that temple. And so this accusation that's made against Jesus here about this temple is that he's actually claiming to be the Messiah. So that's the accusation. This guy said something that indicates he thinks he's the Messiah. We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. And so verse 62 And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. All these false accusers are coming in, making these false accusations, one after another, and Jesus was silent. He didn't say anything. Isaiah 53, verse 7 says of Jesus, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now, you think about if you're in that situation where people are coming in and making false accusations against you, you're going to defend yourself. You're going to say, that's not true. That's not what I said. That's not what I meant. That's not accurate. They're lying. They're making that up. But Jesus was silent. He just stood there, and he didn't say anything. Listen, give me your attention. Jesus is dying in our place. He's dying for you. He's dying for me as our substitute to atone for our sins. He didn't die for his own sins. He was sinless. If he were dying for himself, he could give a defense for himself. But since he was dying in our place, he was silent because we're guilty. And there's no defense to offer for us. And so he just stood there. And all these false accusations were made. Finally, two people said... He made the statement about the temple, implying that he's the Messiah. So verse 63, the high priest answered and said to them, said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. The high priest puts Jesus under an oath. So now legally he's required to answer the question. He's got to he's got to give an answer. The question is. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? Verse 64, Jesus said to him, It is as you said, I am. 
Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus answers the question plainly, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, I am the Son of God. And then he alludes in the rest of his answer to a passage in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14, which is about the Messiah. I'll read it to you. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. So here in his answer, Jesus says, yes, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, I am the Son of God. And then he refers back to this passage in Daniel 7, which talks about the Messiah receiving dominion and glory and a kingdom and all the peoples and nations and languages on the earth will serve him. And to this, the high priest tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, he is deserving Of death. Now remember, they could not give a verdict on the same day as the trial. They had to wait at least 24 hours to give the verdict. And then they had to wait three days before they issued the sentence on the guilty. They were also supposed to ask each member of the Sanhedrin one by one what their verdict is, what their vote is. They don't do any of that. The high priest declared Jesus is guilty of blasphemy and the entire council answered he is deserving of death. They give the verdict at the same and the sentence at the same time. And note also that the high priest tore his garments. That's an important detail. He tore his clothes. The high priest was never supposed to tear his clothes. It was actually forbidden in the law of Moses for the high priest to tear his clothes. Because the high priest was not supposed to be ruled by his emotions while serving as high priest. If you're taking notes, you can jot down Leviticus chapter 21, verse 10. Leviticus 21, 10. I'll read it to you. Leviticus 21, 10. It says, He who is the high priest among his brethren, on whose head the anointing oil was poured, and who is consecrated to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head nor tear his clothes. Very plainly, it says, a high priest is not to tear his clothes. He's not to be ruled by his emotions. So Caiaphas broke the law of Moses when he tore his clothes. Now, for you Bible nerds, the high priest wore an outer robe that was made of just one big piece of woven fabric. It didn't have any seams on it. It was just one big piece of woven fabric with a hole cut for his head. It was kind of like a poncho. And in John chapter 19, when Jesus is crucified, the soldiers divide up all of his belongings. But John chapter 19, verse 23, gives us an important detail. It says that that Jesus had a tunic that was without seam, Woven in one piece, much like the high priest wore, like the tunic of the high priest. And the soldiers decided not to tear his tunic into pieces, but instead to cast lots for it. And so Jesus's tunic was not torn. High priest tore his tunic, but Jesus's tunic was not torn. And without realizing it, Caiaphas tearing his clothing symbolically represents the end of 
of the Levitical priesthood and the establishment of a new priesthood in Jesus Christ. Hebrews calls him our great high priest, right? And so this is, this is where that transition takes place. He rents his garments. The Levitical priesthood ends. Remember when Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain in the temple is torn from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. God is the one tearing that curtain that separates man from the Holy of Holies or the presence of God. Through the death of Jesus Christ, a new priesthood is established in Jesus Christ. And we now have access into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you see that represented here symbolically through the tearing of the high priest's garment. Verse 67, look what it says. Then they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ. Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who is the one who struck you? Now, as I said, the council was required to treat a condemned person humanely. But they didn't treat Jesus humanely. They know Jesus is the Messiah. They know he is the son of God. And yet they spat in his face and they beat him with their fists. They slapped him with the palms of their hands and they mocked him with their words saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who struck you? Mark's gospel tells us they blindfolded Jesus before they began beating him with their fists and slapping him. And mocking him. So he he couldn't see the punches coming to absorb the blow. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. I would say, in my opinion, spitting in someone's face is the greatest expression of contempt for a person to spit in their face. And we see the depravity of man on full display here, spitting in God's face, beating God with their fists, mocking him with their words. And listen to me, mankind would do the same to Jesus Christ today if Jesus Christ were here. Mankind still spits in his face and mocks him. Isaiah fifty-two fourteen says his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. And what is most remarkable to me is that Jesus stood there and took it. He didn't retaliate. He didn't say anything. He didn't fight back. He didn't call that 12 legions of angels. He didn't call fire down from heaven. He just stood there and took it. And he endured the humiliation and the suffering at the hands of his own creation. And he did it for us. He did it for you. He did it for me in our place Condemned, he stood. He could have said, you know what? They're not worth it. He's not worth it. She's not worth it. They're not worth this humiliation. They're not worth someone spitting in my face, punching me and mocking me. But he didn't. He stayed and he endured the shame, the embarrassment and the humiliation. That's how much he loves us. That's the price he was willing to pay to rescue us from sin and death. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you that you were willing to endure the humiliation and the mocking and the embarrassment from your own creation. And we thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to stand in our place 
and take our condemnation for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. You've been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Currently, Pastor Dan is teaching through the book of Matthew, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. This is a book that may cause you to be curious about the history before and also what comes after. If you're wondering about something you heard today, would you give us a call? Our number is 410-491-4592. We'd be happy to talk with you about anything you heard today or to hear about how these messages are impacting your life. We'd also love to know about any prayer requests you might have. Once again, that number is 410-491-4592. Would you be willing to pray for the ministry of Ring of Truth? So many listeners may be hearing life-giving scripture they might not hear elsewhere. What an opportunity to reach people who are lost and without hope in the world. We'd be grateful for your prayers as the word is going out through these messages. If you'd like some specifics, we'd ask that you pray that lives would be changed and that God's kingdom would have more and more souls join Him because of the truth of His Word. Thanks so much for listening today and for praying. If you'd like to hear more messages like this one, we encourage you to go to calvaryec.com. Next time, Pastor Dan will continue on in the book of Matthew, right here on Ring of Truth. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.